Welcome to Torah from Temple of Aaron in St. Paul, Minnesota. Here is the place to hear much of the great sermons, teachings, and speakers happening each week at our synagogue. Whether you are able to make it in person or not, each week you will find new Jewish content to inspire, motivate, and bring meaning to you wherever you find yourself. I hope you enjoy the teaching and feel free to contact us anytime about it by calling us at 651-252-6411 or emailing us at Rabbi Marcus Rubenstein at templeofaron.org. Enjoy and we hope to see you soon. Today we are going to hear a sermon I, Rabbi Marcus Rubenstein, gave at Temple of Aaron on Saturday morning, January 22, 2022 on the day in which we read of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai in Parshat Yitro. After the anti-Semitic attack in a Texas shul over last Shabbat, I reflect on our response to anti-Semitism and its relationship to God's giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. I hope you find the words meaningful, and may God continue to protect us from those who hate us. Enjoy. So I attend Minyan at our joint minion, Temple of Aaron and Beth Jacob, that is meets at the Beth Jacob Synagogue on Mondays and Thursdays. And I walked in and somebody walked up to me and said to me, Rabbi, you must have had quite a weekend. I said, well, it was like a lot of other weekends. It was great, it was uh, meaningful, meaningful Shabbat. No, you must have had quite a weekend. How do you deal with the, the anti-Semitic attack in Texas? It's a rabbi who was taken hostage. He said, what's new? You know how many, how, how many rabbis have been taken hostage over history? How many? Almost all of our great rabbis over the past 2,000 years have been taken hostage at some point. That's why it's so important that we ransom hostages. I mean, there was a, there was a communal fund in every Jewish community to ransom hostages because over and over and over again, that's the reality of what it is meant to be a Jew. Nothing new. Nothing new. <sighs> Yet we're shocked. Yet we're afraid again. Yet we're nervous. And we have every right to be. You know, I, I've done a lot of interfaith activities. I was the vice president of the Interfaith Council in Middletown. And... Um, I was talking to a pastor, and I've been to many church services, and the pastor says, you know, when I first heard from the, I've never been to a Christmas service before, but I, when, I, when, I, when I first heard from the pastor, he said to me, I said, how long is your Christmas service? He said, it's one hour. I said to him, how long is your, your mass? How long is your, or your, 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 your communion service or, or your Sunday morning service? He said, one hour. Always one hour. Now, I know in, in the black church, it's not the same. Sometimes that goes on very, very long. But they kept saying one hour. And he said, so he said, and I, was, I was shocked. I had shock on my face. And he said, how long was your service? He said, we meet three and a half hours on Saturday morning. He says, what? How do you watch college football? <laughs> you know, it's not easy to be a Jew. Not easy to be a Jew. We don't make it easy for ourselves. I mean, just think about our tradition. We take a 13-year-old, used to be just boys, now boys and girls. But we take a 13-year-old boy. Take a 13-year-old boy. Take the time when that boy is the most self-conscious, developing in the awkward stage. Middle school is the most awkward time in the whole entire world. Take the middle of middle school, the most awkward time 
When the boy's voice is changing, he can't even speak without his voice cracking. And we put him up on the bima, and we make him sing. When he's just getting used to schoolwork, we put a 13-year-old boy on the bima or a girl and have them look at a 4,000-year-old text in a different language when they've barely begun to start to write in English. What do we do on our most holy day of the year? Our partners in faith, they sing Christmas carols. We don't eat for the whole day. Our partners in faith, on Easter they eat chocolate eggs and marshmallow bunnies. We don't eat bread for eight days. On the day celebrating our freedom, Finally, from oppression, what is the first thing we do in our Seder? We invite in all those who are oppressed in our day. We're thinking about somebody else. They eat meatballs. We eat gefilte fish. Not easy to be a Jew. I'm sorry if you like gefilte fish. Not my thing. Not my thing. You can, you can wait on that. Not easy to be a Jew. And let's be honest, the challenges are not just from the inside, from the dictates of our faith, but as we say on the Passover holiday, Bechol, Dor, Vador, what? In every generation, what? What? There's another nation, there's another group that rises up against us. And we say that on Passover. Aren't we celebrating? That's the holiday when God freed us from all things that were dangerous. God freed us. God freed us from Egypt. Yet we are saying at our Seder, Behol, Dor, Vador, in every generation, there will be anti-Semitism. There will be nations and people and forces that rise up to destroy us. Yet we will persevere. Yet we will persevere. God never promises that it will be easy. Judaism doesn't make life easy. Actually, in the short term, it sort of makes life a little harder. It's not easy being a Jew. There will never be a time when we will live without anti-Semitism at all. In every generation, behold, door, vador, while we live on this green earth, there will be people who hate us. It's always been that way. It always will be that way. That doesn't mean that we don't fight against it. That doesn't mean that we don't have an Israeli military in the state of Israel. That doesn't mean that we don't make partners and make alliances and make friends and teach about Judaism. But in the back of our heads, we have to always know there will be anti-Semitism. And if we don't believe that, I think it's a little bit naive. Why? I thought the whole point of this was to make it a little bit easier in our Parsha this week, didn't we read when God described himself? He said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha Asher Mitzrayim. I am the God who brings you out of Egypt, the place of your suffering. Isn't that what our religion is about? To bring us out of the place of suffering? Eh, not true. Wish it was, but it's not. In chapter 19, the first thing 
that God says to Moses in our Parsha, saying, telling, says, tell the, as an introduction to the Torah, he says to them, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now, if you read this sentence, you might think, oh, an eagle. God's protecting us. He's protecting us from suffering. Who is God bringing us? Does it say God brought you to the, the, the you know, where everything's going to be safe and everything's going to be pleasant and everything's going to be cotton candy? No, it says I brought you to me. To me. Now then, if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Indeed, all the earth is mine, but you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. Tell me where does it say that everything will be cotton candy? Where does it say that God's going to protect us from all harm? Not there. Why? Because that was never the point. That was never the point of what it's meant to be a Jew. What God wanted out of us was to be a treasured people, to be an Am Kohanim, a Mamlechet Kohanim, a kingdom of holy priests, a people who rises above, a people who strives continually for eternal meaning, not imminent meaning, not finite meaning, not things that pass in the day. Because we all know we are finite people. Everyone passes. But what God said that this people is going to do is going to strive for the infinite, to strive for the eternal, to strive for the things that really matter, to look beyond the passing pleasures of our day, to strive to be better, to strive to be eternally good, to shadow me, to be partners in my creation, to be my am segula, to be my treasured people. Never does it say, does that mean that you're going to be a safe people? And you know what, honestly? Most good things in the world aren't the safe things. Aren't the things that are completely safe. Most things in this world take working for. God, the whole entire point of God bringing us out of Egypt, we, we, a lot of us think the reason that we were brought out of Egypt was so because we were suffering. Because God felt bad for us. Not true. Why did, from the beginning, why did God bring us out of Egypt? What was Moshe telling Paro when he said, let my people go? Did he say, let my people go because they're not living very well here? That's what the Jewish people thought at the time. Say it again. To serve Hashem. Because they're going to worship me in the wilderness. Because they're going to come to me. Do you think if God really wanted to protect us, he would have sent us into the wilderness? If God wanted everything to be perfectly dandy with us, we'd have traipsed through the Sinai Desert for 40 years? Really? That's the way? It is the way, though, if you want God. If you want meaning. If in this finite world that you want to stretch towards something eternal. If you want to become better human beings in this world. If you want to become better. If you want to actually be the things that we talk about during eulogies. You know, never once on eulogies do I say, you know, that person had a really easy life. You know, they were able to have a lot of chocolate. They had a really nice sports car. Never, not once. And it's, I, look, I've, I've, I've buried all kinds of people with all kinds of money. Never once have I talked about that. Why? Because those things don't matter. You're not buried with your sports car. <sighs> but what things that are truly eternal are the good deeds you do in this world, the ways and the times in which you struggle to come closer to God. 
to match God, to make this world a better place, to be a mam lechet koanim, to be a kingdom of priests, to stretch towards the infinite. Those are the only things that we are left with in this world. The rest goes away. It's not buried with us. That's what God cares about. That's what's meaningful in the world. For everybody, not just for us, but for everybody. And that's why God gave us the Torah on Mount Sinai. The whole entire reason for coming out of Egypt was to give us the Torah on Mount Sinai, to give us this tool, to give us this thing, to give us this technology, these mitzvot, these obligations to connect to God. Not to make our lives easier, but to make our lives more meaningful. To make our lives mean something. In this confusing, dark time, the Torah continually and its mitzvot continually make our lives more meaningful, not make our lives more easy. Think about it. If as a non-Jew, how many commandments do you have? Seven. There are seven Noahide commandments. How many commandments does a Jew have? 613. Right? Many more obligations. Not, it's not easier to be a Jew but it's more meaningful. It's more eternal. We have a separate destiny as a people. And you know what? Over the years, Jews have fallen out. It's said that when the temple was destroyed, 90% of our people left us. When we left Egypt, supposedly 75% of the Jews got lost in the plague of darkness and gave up. How many Jews have left and converted over 2,000 years of exile? We are the ones that are left. We are the ones who have chosen eternal life. We are the ones who have not chosen the easy life. We had choices, chances to do that many, many times over. You have the choice to do that every single day. But we haven't chosen that easy life. We've chosen the meaningful life. In every generation, there will be people that oppress us. But because God has given us the Torah, God has given us a track towards meaning, towards eternal life, towards eternal treasure, towards the things that actually matter. Right? Why do we put a 13-year-old on the bima when his voice is changing, when he's fragile? Because we will not let our 13-year-olds go through and our, our children develop without values, without clinging to their eternal values to define what it means to take human responsibility. You know, their, their, their childhood years of 13 are not just for them to have a good time, but for them to learn who they are and grab hold of responsibility with strength to know what's expected of them. The most holy of time of the year isn't the time to sing carols or eat ham, but it's the time to struggle to think of who we could possibly be because we know as Jews that that's the most holy thing in the world is not what I put into my stomach all the time, but who I can possibly be, what I put into my head, who I can possibly strive to be. We know as Jews Yes, it's harder not to eat bread on Passover. It's hard not to, it's, it's hard to, at the same time we're thinking of our own suffering, to invite people into our house, invite the stranger into our house suffering, because we as Jews know that it's not enough that we're just not suffering. The whole world can't suffer. As Hebrew National once said, what's Hebrew National slogan? This is your turn. Hebrew National hot dogs. What's the standard? 
We answer to a higher authority. As Jews, we answer to a higher authority. Our Torah stretches us and pushes us and prods us tirelessly. And it's not easy. And we are faced with the external forces around us that oppress us as well. Behold, door of door in every generation will face those forces. But the promise that God gives us is that we will have eternal life, that we will constantly stretch for meaning, stretch for goodness, stretch for love, stretch for things that really matter, that if we cling to our Torah, the gift that God gave us on top of Mount Sinai that day when we were all standing there, if we cling to that gift that God gave us, no matter what happens, no matter how many COVIDs there are, or climate crises there are, or you name it, we will be better. We will experience God in this world. We will cling to things that really matter, and our lives will have meaning. And that's what's promised to us at Mount Sinai. And that's the reason we're Jews. So you can just hope and pray for a day that anti-Semitism will never be here. I think it's a pipe dream. Or you can cling together to what's most important, which is our identity, which is the Torah, which is our mitzvot, the things that make our lives holy. To just cling even stronger to who we are, our identities, to come to Shabbat services, to take part in Jewish community, to cling together, to cling more to our values, to rise higher, and to understand that those who rise higher, those who stretch higher, will always, there will always be forces, even more forces that push them down, who try to push them down. But we can rise up. And all of our strategies and all of our mitzvot help. Yes, do they make our lives harder in the short term? Sometimes. But they make us and they carve us out to be better people. And no, I have no reason why we have to eat gefilte fish. So if you ask me why, I don't know. That one I don't know. But what I can promise you is that if we follow our Torah and we love it and we respect it, that no matter what oppression we face in every generation and what our children face, Whoever tries to push us down, we will rise up once again. Because is there a Rome anymore? No. Is there, is there a uh, Babylon anymore? Is there uh, the ancient Greeks? Is there the... Uh, none of these police people still exist anymore. The Assyrians all thought they were more powerful us, but because we cling to eternal life, there's no stopping us. And yes... We'll bear it together. So am I afraid? Am I surprised that I have to stand up here again and that I have to take security training where I have to rehearse in my head every night, run, hide, run, fight when there's an active shooter drill inside the synagogue? Am I surprised? No, I'm not. Because I know it's hard to be a Jew. I didn't choose the easy road, and neither did my ancestors. And neither will we. Shabbat shalom, buddy.